Good morning. I'll let you guys remain standing. We're going to read through a couple of gospel readings this morning. Uh, one is from Luke, and the other one is from the book of Matthew, and I'm going to read them back to back. Luke chapter 22, it says, And he came out, that is Jesus, and went, as was custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him, and when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, this is the, uh, uh, the Gospel reading that's the, st- the theme of the series. There's the word. That Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is coming with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he'll repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. So today is the last Sunday of our sermon series, uh, Learning to Let Go. And there's been a lot of really great things that we've been able to explore with this series And uh, this is kind of, as it wraps up, we look forward to uh, the season of Lent, and we'll get to explore some of the themes in more depth that I'll talk about today. Uh, But learning to let go is a a lifelong thing. It's a challenge. It's difficult. And we find ourselves at many times and in many places being invited into a space and a place where we have to give something up of ourselves, some way of thinking, believing, or doing and submit to Christ who calls us. In this uh, gospel lesson that I just read, just to give you some context, uh, this follows after Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room. He had had communion with them. And then afterwards, he retreats out into the garden of the Mount of Olives, which is right outside of the city of Jerusalem. So it's a place where these olive trees grow outside of the hustle and bustle of the city, and it's in this peaceful area on a hill just outside across the valley. And I don't know, I don't know about you, like I grew up in the Texas Panhandle, and so you could drive like 20 minutes, 15 minutes, and be out in the middle of nowhere. And you could look up at the sky, and you could see, uh, you can see every star and you can hear the crickets chirping. And when you're in nature like that, and you're looking up at the expanse of the sky, you feel um, incredibly small in a big and beautiful world. And so I imagine Jesus 
was having a similar sort of experience. There's, you know, not street lights and electricity and things that we have that light up the night, but as he retreated away from Jerusalem, he's out in this garden and he's looking up to God the Father and he sees the expanse of the stars. He can probably hear the critters and the trees. And he begins to pray. And as he prays to God, his Father, he probably sees himself in some ways as just this small little person in a moment of history here encompassed by the creation of his Father. And he kneels and he begins to pray. And what does he pray? What does he go to God with in prayer? Well, he, he begins to earnestly pray to God, his Father. He says, Please, God, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. And what is the cup that Jesus wants removed? He wants the cup of God's wrath and anger against sin and brokenness in the world that's about to fall on him through his crucifixion and death on the cross to be taken from him. He's saying, Father, please take this cup from me. Jesus is God, but Jesus is also man, and he does not want to suffer. He doesn't want to experience what he's about to experience. And if there's any other way, this is his moment where he's begging to God. So earnestly is he going to God. The text says that he begins to sweat blood as he prays out to his father. This is an intense prayer. And what does God do? Jesus is praying, and what does God do? Does his father show up and answer his prayer? Does his father tell him, never mind, we'll try a different way? Does he take the cup, does he answer his prayer? He doesn't. And this is what's amazing to me about this. This is the Son of God, and he's going to the Father, he's saying, please, Father, please, Dad, take this cup from me. And he gets no response from the Father. And so what does he do? What's more shocking, maybe, is his response to this. He's, he says, you know, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He prays for something, and ultimately he lets go of what he wants and says, God, whatever you want, your will ultimately be done. And what blows my mind about this is that I don't know that I would behave or do always behave in the same way. I don't know that people believe and have faith in the same way. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many times I have prayed to God, God, would you please, please heal this person? God, would you please help my family in this way? Would you please, God, bring peace 
where there is none. Lord, this temptation, this frustration, this anger, God, please take it away. And what do I hear? Nothing. Is there peace on earth? No. Are people I know healed? Not always. And so I have a choice. I can say, I don't, I don't understand what's going on, God, but not my will, but your will be done. Because, you know, I can't see around the corner. I can't know how someone's suffering might help somebody else in their walk with their suffering. I can't fully comprehend the consequences of things that I see as something God needs to intervene in, and he doesn't. I don't understand But I can move and say, your will be done, not mine. Or, what a lot of people do, I say, well, it's not worth it. If God doesn't answer my prayers, then there is no God. He's not present. He's not real. He doesn't end suffering. He doesn't solve the problems of the world. He doesn't fix me. Jesus is about to do something profoundly painful, excruciatingly painful, humiliating, degrading, painful. And he says, not your will, but mine be done. Your will, Father. (laughs) Sorry, I said wrong. Yeah, see, that's how my soul works sometimes, right? Yeah. But Jesus understands something. He understands there's no other way. He understands that the only way is ultimately the Father's way because uh, no matter what happens, it's going to be his will, whether we're on board or not. He's going to work and move through and buy things in ways that we don't fully understand or or comprehend in a broken world. (laughs) And so Christ cries out. He prays this prayer. He says, God, yours will be done. And, And Christ goes willingly. This is what's shocking, really. I mean, just after this prayer, like the guards show up to arrest him. And one of his disciples pulls out a sword, like, game on, let's do this. And what does Jesus say? No, put it away, let's go. Just a a week before this, like, there was a tinker tape parade, and he was sort of ushered into Jerusalem like an emperor, a Roman emperor, people shouting, Hosanna, (coughs) how far has he come? Where are all the supporters now, the people now? He's alone. (coughs) Christ just goes. He goes to the cross so something new can happen, something not yet known. What Christ does is he, he lets go of his will. It's a letting go of my will to be faithful. 
And we know this story, right? We know this story. If you're in church, you understand this. Like we, we go through this every year, even all of it on one Sunday. Christ was born, Christ lived, and he died, and he rose again, and he did it so that as you live your life and you die, you too can live and rise again. And it's just crazy to think about how this all works, but it's like Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, he says, he emptied himself fully, like he divested of everything. He took the form of a servant, born like a man, but found in human form, humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. <coughs> Sorry. So he, he willingly goes, willingly dies. And here's the, here's the thing that, that just strikes me about this story and about Paul's words. Jesus was incredibly competent. He did incredibly good things. He was healing people. He was raising the dead. He was teaching with authority. He was challenging what was known and revealing truth. And, and why did he have to die on the cross? Why couldn't he have lived longer to show us a better way, to show us more, to sort of secure people's understanding of what it looks like to live in Christ and to obediently follow him? Why couldn't he have just like gotten old and died and then God used that death to redeem us all? I don't have the answer to that question. All I know is that through his willing obedience to death on the cross, he ends up being exalted. It says that, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him every name that is above every name. That's so every knee shall bow and give honor, glory, and praise to Christ. Because he died and lived, you get to die and live. You get that? You get to. But Jesus was more than just about knowing and doing the right things. He was about being obedient to the Father's will. We just had a confirmation in our 9 o'clock service. <clears throat> and over the years, I'm just to be honest, like, I'm super cynical of confirmation. You know, what, it, what it's meant to be is a moment where youth come and confirm their faith. And sorry, I was like, what's going on? Thanks, Kevin. It's water, not vodka. Thank you. Well, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, my cynicism, right? <laughs> the reason why I'm cynical is because year over year, confirmation begins and youth show up that have not been part of any sort of worshiping community at all. And then year over year after confirmation, a lot of those youth disappear and we never see them again. And it always makes me wonder what is going on. And then I reflect on myself and I remember like I started going to church around the time confirmation started. I was one of those that who never showed up until confirmation started. But then it's, but then confirmation did its thing. 
Like I learned a lot. I learned about the Ten Commandments. I learned about the creeds, and I learned about some good Lutheran, uh, you know, Jesus dying and rising and grace and forgiveness through his sacrifice kind of stuff. And I, and I remember thinking on some level, like even though like, uh, like I had, we had to take tests that were graded, report cards went home, I felt incredibly competent when I got to confirmation. I had done the work. And I remember going up to the altar rail and the pastor putting his hand on me, reading the Bible verse and blessing me and then having me stand as a confirmed member of the church. And I thought, this is it, I finally arrived. But you know that saying, wherever you go, there you are. So the next day I woke up and guess what? I was still me. Why, why didn't God fix me? Why didn't I have greater faith after confirmation than I did before? Why did I still struggle with the questions that I struggled with? Why was I still tempted in the same way that I was tempted before? God, why didn't you take the cup away from me? Didn't I do everything I was supposed to do? Am I not competent enough? I mean, every day after confirmation, I, I had to get up and, and, like, confirm my faith every day. Like, Father, forgive me. I'm struggling still. And so I go to seminary. A similar pattern. Like, I was having flashbacks when I was getting ordained, right? I, I go to the seminary, right? And, and you know what they make you do at seminary? They make you learn Greek and Hebrew. Why? I don't know. I don't know. So that we can be smarter, I guess, be more competent. You know, I, I knew the Greek and I knew the Hebrew. I passed the test. I read Walther's Law and Gospel, Peeper's Dogmatics. I did all the things. I was the Lutheran of Lutherans graduating from the seminary. I was so competent. And I remember in my ordination sitting in a chair, listening to the sermon, and thinking, this is it. Finally, I've arrived. I will be ordained. They laid my hands on me, put the, put the stole on me. And I woke up the next morning and I was the same person. Had the same struggles, doubts, uncertainties. The only difference was is I guess I was more competent and educated than I was before. You see, that's the thing, that's, that's the problem sometimes, I think, is that, that just because Jesus could go around teaching with authority and heal people because he was competent in his being, it didn't, it, it didn't necessarily, couldn't necessarily translate to obedience unless he was obedient, and he was. You can go through confirmation, you can go through a new member class, you can go to seminary, you can learn the languages. You can be as smart as you want to be. You can know the Bible better than any pastor in the world and still not be obedient to Christ and the Father. And what it really comes down to in the end is that obedience is actually greater than competency. 
It actually doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you follow, what you do. Otherwise, you are just a scribe, a teacher of the law, a Pharisee, a whitewashed tomb, (laughs) hollow and empty. To be obedient means to let go. In many ways, you have to let go of the competence because in the end, that will be stripped away from you. It's an idol, right? In the end, you have to let go of your will be done and let the Father's will be done. In the end, you have to have faith to know that not all the answers are yours to have, but what you do have is the call to wake up every single day and say, I will follow. I confirm that I am still in the faith with you. I'm still in it with you. I will take your yoke upon me because your burden is easier than not. Where you go, I will go. But here's the thing. I think we discount that because almost immediately, like as I'm preaching, the voice that enters my head immediately is, oh, but I can't. I can't do it. I can't be obedient. I'm going to mess up. And that voice in my head's right. I am going to mess up. So therefore, I should just rest in my competence, right? <laughs> no. You see, the, the way we experience the promise in Christ, that, that death and life, is that we do have to die. We have to die to ourselves, and we literally will die. And then we will get to experience that new creation, that new life. And, and I believe God will set all the brokenness and destruction and the lack of justice in this world and heal my anger that I have towards people that are foolish and heal the envy that I have because I don't have all the things and skills that I wish I had that other people have. He will remove all those things. He will eventually take that cup from me in the resurrection and the new life. But the only way that I receive that, that I get that, is through obedience. Because grace is there for those who are trying to follow him but fail. But if you are not even trying to follow him, then there is no grace. It doesn't matter. And so we let go. We let go of everything in the end. And trust in him. And so my prayer is that, that we don't just take that voice in our head that says, I can't be obedient, and therefore keep on doing whatever we want to. But we say, yeah, God's grace is there. Now we go. And we let go of our egos and our desires to do the things that we think we deserve or should be able to do, and we say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Christ. Mold me, shape me, 
recreate me every day as I wake up and follow you. It's in Jesus' name.